0: It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. You can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com makeyourbed Make Your Bed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Make Your Bed. Good morning, sunshine. Welcome to another day of the Make Your Damn Bed podcast. For the last two days, we've been talking about the badass revolutionary Angela Davis. And I wanted to go through some of her impact that's been represented by pop culture over the years. And I'm not going to talk about everything, but I found a list of quite a few references to her in the popular discourse. So I figured why not list those here in case you wanted to check any out for yourselves. But even if you don't choose to seek out these resources, it's still really fascinating to see just how popular she was. In the early 70s, the Rolling Stones, as well as John Lennon and Yoko Ono, recorded songs about her. The Rolling Stones named their song Sweet Black Angel, and Yoko Ono and John Lennon named theirs Angela. In 1977, the great Vanetta McGee portrayed a watered-down version of her in a little-seen prison drama called Brothers, and Davis's niece, Aissa, wrote and performed a critically acclaimed autobiographical play, Angela's Mixtape, which I actually remember coming out in 2009, and it was basically about having this radical star as her aunt. A Longhouse Jailhouse interview with Davis was the highlight of a 2011 documentary, The Black Power Mixtape, 1967-1975, to and a year later, the director, Shola Lynch's Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, which was executive produced by Jay-Z, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, and James Lasseter. And that film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. And a lot of that content commemorates, celebrates, and maybe exaggerates and fetishizes the brief electric period in Angela Davis's life in the 70s. But that's not where her work has stopped. Angela Davis is 80 years old, but... She remains a vital presence in the world of academia, political discourse, and young activists. She still lectures at major universities, advises young activists personally, like the Dream Defenders, a group founded in 2012 after the murder of Trayvon Martin. For most of the last 30-so years, she has worked as a public intellectual, teaching at the University of California Santa Cruz and other universities, but if you look back at Angela Davis's political history and what she advocates for, she is consistently on the right side of it. She loudly spoke out against the war on terror after 9-11. She blamed the destruction in New Orleans caused by Hurricane Katrina in 2005 on structural racism. And she spoke at Occupy Wall Street rallies in Philadelphia and New York in 2011. In 2018, The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Alabama invited her to receive an award, which was rescinded three months later after unnamed members of the community complained to the board about her support for Palestinian rights and a boycott of Israel. The Institute eventually revised its decision and issued Davis a public apology. But this was back in 2018. But what I find most fascinating about Angela Davis, despite being publicly targeted by the U.S. government and the FBI, she has consistently stayed encouraging about the mission. She still believes that America can be transformed into a more equitable society. And there's something about seeing radical elders and activism still advocating and still active in their participation on the journey to change. Shit, if anyone's earned a rest, it's Angela Davis. But she's still out here believing and fighting and offering hope to us youngsters that want to carry the torch of fighting the power for a more equitable and people-centric system, as opposed to the profit-based system we've all been spoon-fed. But this quote from the New York Times article, I want to read directly, because I found it to be really fascinating. She said, "'For a long time, I felt somewhat intimidated.' I felt that there was no way that I, as an individual, could actually live up to the expectations incorporated in that image. There came a point when I realized I didn't have to. The image does not reflect who I am as an individual. It reflects the work of the movement. And she talks about a turning point, which happened for her while she was visiting the University of California, Santa Cruz, before she retired in 2008. And Angela Davis says she sees a woman wearing a t-shirt with an image of her on it. And Angela recalls, I quote, My usual stance had been whenever I would see people wearing t-shirts with my image, I didn't really know how to act. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. But this time I asked her, Why are you wearing that t-shirt? What does the image mean to you? She didn't know a great deal about me at all. But she said, whenever I wear this, I feel like I can accomplish anything. It makes me feel empowered. From that moment, I realized it wasn't about me as an individual. It was about the fact that my image was a stand-in for the work that masses are able to do in terms of changing the world. And I'll admit, for a long time, when I was in high school, in college, before I actually read books, I was one of those people who believed her image was empowering enough on its own, and I stand by that. It really genuinely is. Because the government labeling you FBI's most wanted terrorist, yet still your reputation remains intact, that's some badassery if I've ever seen it. But the more I dig into her work, the more I read about her, the more I understand her lectures and passion for equity, it only seems to reinforce that image of empowerment and strength and revolution. In 1981, Davis published Women, Race, and Class, inspired both by her time in jail and a case that she worked on involving Joan Little in 1974, which I highly encourage you looking into if you can, but throughout all of Angela's work championing cases of unfairly incarcerated black men and women, she says, of writing Women, Race, and Class. That book represents a number of positions of people who had a broader, more, the term we use now as intersectional, analysis of what it means to struggle for gender equality. She says, At the time that I wrote it, I was interested in pointing out that gender did not have to be seen in competition with race, that women's issues did not belong to middle-class white women, In many ways, that research was about uncovering the contributions of women who were completely marginalized by histories of the women's movement, especially black women, but also Latino women and working-class women everywhere. And for many contemporary African-American activists, race has been a blind spot for white feminists and the feminist movement at large. The second wave feminism of the 70s, was much like the first wave of feminism the suffrage movement in the late 19th and 20th centuries was driven by white women seeking equality with men in terms of opportunity legal protection and control of their bodies but the numerous issues of inequality facing working class and poor black women in addition to destroying the sexualization of black men as threats to white women it had never been very vital to the mainstream feminist agenda before Davis identified intersectionality. And though today we understand that intersectionality exists and that you can experience privileges because of your gender, your gender identity, your race, your wealth, your status and class in society, which means you can experience a lack of privilege in those things, may feel really obvious now but that is thanks to revolutionaries like Angela Davis putting intersectionality into the forefront of the discourse and conversation. And that's what makes her so incredibly powerful to me. She takes concepts that we deem as radical at first, but once she uncovers them and puts a label on it, we start to realize it was already woven into the fabric of our existence. She just called out the stitches. And if you can't tell, I love the woman but I love you too. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll talk to you tomorrow while you make your damn bed. Bye, beautiful. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,